Hey folks, I want to dedicate this podcast to Mike Leota, the GS coordinator for the state of Louisiana National Guard. Um, Mike and I did a lot together with Katrina, Deepwater Horizon, lots of planning and exercises and obviously drinking to get together in various, various cities at conferences. Um, in February, Mike died of uh, complications from COVID-19. And I'm going to miss him. Thanks for everything, Mike. And now the podcast. Hi, this is Todd Barr. Hey, this is Silas Toms. And this is the Mappius Hour, and on this day after Daylight Savings Night, we have David Bittner. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Not too bad. How are y'all doing? Yeah, Can't complain for a pandemic. <laughs> Silas? Same. <laughs> Can't decide this weekend if, I, if I'm wishing that I was in Colorado right now, or uh, I'm glad that I'm not. <laughs> Some of my Facebook friends were showing videos. You know, everybody's saying it was going to hit yesterday, right? And it ends up hitting today. And they're getting like 18 or 20 inches. Of what? Snow. Uh... If it was three weeks ago, I would have been... I would have been loving every second of it. I think it's coming your way, though. Uh, I think we're getting like maybe an inch tomorrow. But nothing like... It's kind of thing like my trails have finally dried out a little bit for me to run on. And so like I don't want it to go back and forth, back and forth. Why don't we start there? Where is where you are, Dave? I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Lovely. You ever been, Silas? You know, I haven't yet. I have a lot of friends there. Some of the nicest people I've ever known. So I, I, I think of it highly. It seems like a cool city and I'd actually like to go there during winter just to see what Minneapolis does about winter because I've heard so many stories. Oh, I think winter is my favorite time of year up here. Um, I think that it, like the key thing, and so I'm, I'm from northern Illinois, and we, we had, like, where I'm from had the same amount of snow that we got up here, but the difference is just like I was talking about, I'm ready for the, you know, I don't want to be in that freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw. When we got snow in rockford illinois like we would get it it'd be there for a couple days then it would go away the difference up here is it's just a little bit colder enough so you know we get the snow and we can actually use it um you know all the lakes freeze and you can skate you can ski you can uh winter's the most beautiful time of year up here to me i bet i bet yeah especially Yeah, all those frozen ponds and lakes. That is just so fascinating to me. Um, growing up in a place where you could actually <laughs> skate outdoors, like naturally, it, it seems wild to me. The only uh, ice skating I ever really did was, funny enough, uh, as a kid growing up, we would go visit my grandmother down in Palm Springs in the desert, and they had a they had an ice skating ring in the um, in the mall. And it's funny, and actually, it makes sense because there's so many Canadians and like you know northern americans who uh visit like the desert during the winter so 
I, I got it later, but it was, yeah, it still cracks me up. <laughs> really no association there. Nothing like going out your, your door. Yeah, I, I was expecting a heavy winter up here in Boston this year, yeah. and we got like two days of snow. We only had like one big nor'easter. We were really low on snow, but we had like February, you know, the, the cold really set in. So what we had stayed usable for a good long time. So um, I take it, though, that you moved uh, somewhat recently from Colorado, because if I remember correctly, you you were based based out of there somewhat? Uh, no, I was working with Todd, but I, I was remote. So I was I was flying out there pretty much monthly. Um, and what was your role? I, I don't know the backstory there. Uh, I was developer doing kind of all of the API work on the platform there. So Dave, why don't you give us a little bit of your, of your backstory then? I know, I know it pretty well, but not everybody does. <laughs> uh, I've been doing the, you know, I've, my degrees are an undergraduate degree in rocks, graduate degree in trees, but kind of the common thread in all of that was uh, GIS and remote sensing. Um, went into the forestry program at the University of Minnesota because that's where all the remote sensing uh, work was being done. Um, you know, and then, and kind of that's where my first introduction to kind of the open source uh, side of things was because uh, University of Minnesota map server um, came from the forestry program. And so kind of got introduced to the open source side of things really early um, and kind of had some some big opportunities to kind of hey, let's move stuff. You know, when I started working for the airport authority uh, for the Twin Cities, um, we had you know, an application that you know, there was a big lawsuit happening and had an application that let you type in your address and see where you qualified for this lawsuit. Well, when the lawsuit actually got settled, it act, you know, they put the, rather than putting the information page as the link that meant went in the newspaper and, and everything, they put the link to the interactive map, which what, you know, I came in and inherited was a cold fusion arc IMS map that I had a cron job that restarted it every half hour, I think. Um, <laughs> and, but so, you know, the, the, when the big lawsuit announcement came out, like the website just came to its knees and I'm like, Hey, I've been monkeying around on the side, you know, because I used to use, you know, I've used Map Server a lot in other places, and you know, it kind of the big win that kind of set the trajectory of what I was able to do there was, hey, anybody remember Kamap? Um, it was kind of pre-open layers, one of the first big open source applications that did the tiled, um, uh, kind of the saved your cast your tiles so that. Um, you know, you weren't hitting the, the rendering every time. Um, and so spun up a couple instances of, of that on like FTP servers, file servers we had sitting around, put a, you know, a load balancer on it. And I'm just like, here, you know, now we can roll. And, you know, everything was 10 times faster than even when it wasn't loaded. And so it went, you know, within a day from here's this crashing application that we're paying 
you know, our licenses for ARC were like a hundred thousand, you know, north of a hundred thousand dollars. And hey, here's this free thing, and and kind of that set me up for having sort of free reign to kind of use the the open source software. That actually, the funny thing, like the loophole that let me use the open source software is, you know, because our IT department was kind of staunchly we only use commercial off the shelf product products, and but so any software purchases we had to get their buy-in from. Well, guess what? You don't have to do with open source. <laughs> so we never had to make any software purchases. Um, all along the way, we were, you know, we had professional services. You know, I um, I was able to fund. I forget which version of of company it. Well, it was when when uh, Paul had his own company the clever elephant and like and so like i got big questions you're hiring a company called clever to do some of the um the initial uh some of the linear referencing work um and and post this and so it's kind of fun early on to get to to be a part of kind of getting that rolling um and you know so had a big long you know i had a nine-year window that i was kind of working you know running the the gs department for kind of environmental affairs for an airport authority and then kind of went out on my own and uh for a number of years and have been at a handful of places uh since then mostly you know my my big uh areas is kind of the back end um databases and, and api work um definitely been doing this long enough that i've done but you do not want a user interface that i build <laughs> I can do it, which doesn't mean I should do it. That's the way I feel too. Yeah. It, it, it's so fun. Like now I'm doing a lot of product engineering. And so working directly with a designer who is mm -hmm. incredibly skilled. And then, you know, I sort it out. I make all the interactions work. I, I think it through. And then I get the developers to build it out. And just to see that flow happen from beautiful design to actual <laughs> beautiful finished product. I'm just so happy to be a part of it, you mm -hmm. know. And like, I can think about it. I can understand what's going on. I can plan it all out. But God, that design part, that uh, that look and feel, that polish at the end is always just a little bugaboo for me. I'd rather set up like bare steel. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always just that much easier. Yeah. yeah I'm blatantly not a designer either, right? Here's <laughs> the button. This makes a bunch of neat stuff happen. I know the button is gray. And it's in the middle of the web page. Just press the button. So, so Dave, right now you're bouncing around with DevSeed, right? Yeah, I've been with DevSeed a little over a year now. Um, great place. Uh, definitely been enjoying the, the crew there and uh, getting to do some interesting things. Um, you know, just got done with a project for a nonprofit called OpenAQ, um, you know, where we're making well over a billion uh air quality measurements um, publicly available on an API. Um, now doing uh, some work with the Postgres-backed um, stack catalog um, engine and uh, but and some other work kind of with, with NASA and their uh, cataloging of data. Um, so definitely uh, definitely some, some cool things going on at DevSeed. Yeah. <laughs> 
how's the uh, how's the pandemic affected your guys's work well dev seed was was pretty much um you know probably two-thirds remote to begin with um you know we have a big office in dc um you know that they have not been using you know for the last year um but it was the team was most remote enough to begin with that you know all of the business all of our processes were remote first um to like you know so if somebody was if two people in dc were talking about something that affected somebody else you know they would always make sure that hey we'll have we'll have this conversation on slack or you know set up a a, a google meet which is you know definitely a departure from when I was working with you and I was the only remote employee. It was a very different, uh, very different experience. Yeah, that was a little rough. <laughs> I think it, there's, there's definitely, a, for a, remote workers in a company, there's definitely a tipping point when your default of communication needs to be on something that is recorded and that is accessible to everybody else. And I actually think that there's a lot of a lot of those practices kind of leave a nice paper trail that that you don't get when it's when you're having all in-person meetings that you know aren't necessarily getting kind of annotated where everybody else can kind of see what's going on and, and kind of some of the history of you know the conversations that have happened. Yeah, I really like um, I really like when they can record meetings now. It tends to be it's that's standard operating procedure for us. So everything's asynchronous, right? Mm -hmm. If I happen to miss that meeting because I was in another meeting, I can still catch up with yeah. them later. So I'm not out I tend not to be out of the loop as much as I much as I was when we were in the office, right? Getting secondary and third downloads. But it's also even if you were there and you need to go back and kind of review, having those practices where that you know, recording or the notate like is how you do something rather than, you know, running to the cubicle next door and, and just having an off the, the cuff chat um, definitely makes it easier to go back and, all right, what were we talking about? Um, you know, if it was an asynchronous Slack communication or if it was a hangout that you were able to record. Searchable. So you're saying that's an interesting point, like uh, work product is more searchable now just because of the nature of remote work yeah yeah that's persistent too yeah yeah this is I, I think google wave came out about 10 years too early <laughs> <laughs> next right, day, yeah. gonna try to get us all on google plus again oh god no <laughs> that was that was like the detroit of social media platforms had all this infrastructure but no one lived there <laughs> no offense to detroit but yeah <laughs> So, uh, I have to ask, were you, Todd, were you Dave's boss or vice versa? Yeah, I was Dave's boss. Oh. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, Todd, you should, uh, put down your earphones and Dave and I, we're gonna have a little discussion. So, uh, what was he like as a boss? <laughs> oh, Todd's one of the greatest people I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with. He's paying you to say that, isn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, cares about the personal side of things, uh, and, and understands the kind of the, the technical approaches, 
you know, at the same time. Oh, that's great. That's so well-rounded. You know, I think it's really funny to like, <clears throat> especially that we made this our career, all three of us, that none of us started necessarily uh, in GIS science. You know, I started in geography with like a lot of natural resource and water resource um, focus. And then uh, Todd, you were in, not economics, so you were in like foreign studies. What was it again? Uh, uh, I was, my, uh, my master's degree is in econometrics with an emphasis on uh, foreign currency, specified Eastern Europe with the fall of communism. Sick. So you were studying like the uh, when they started selling eggs on the free market in 1989, right? Yeah, well, the, but the, the big push, my, my thesis was on the uh, the beer industry in the Czech Republic and property rights. You just wanted to go drink beer in Czech Republic, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Back when it was really accessible and no one knew about it. Or no one yeah. went there, at least. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and then you came from, you said forestry and geology, right? Yeah. And like, I like forestry. I had, like, I went into for Like I didn't take any tree classes at Fort. Like I went into forestry because that's where the remote sensing uh, work was being done. Gotcha. So it, it was driving you. Yeah. Even then. Yeah. It, it, uh, it isn't always the case cause a lot of people just don't know about it. Uh, but to get this deep into it and like all the different ways that, uh, that people find their way down this little mm-hmm. GIS rabbit hole is always fascinating to me. Um, especially like that's so cool that you got to, I don't think we've actually interviewed somebody who does a lot of map service stuff, which is like, I've enjoyed the fact that it exists as an, uh, as an option for the last, you know, 10, 12 years. This has been, I've known about it <laughs> because it's yeah. Like just having these free tools available that are so powerful. Like you said, to be able to soup up a website, <laughs> running on some old system just like that the trick with map server even even now if you want something that just works and you don't have to futz with map server is still the way to go yeah i mean geo server even with like the gui on top it um it's a little harder to configure it seems like yeah so map server is harder to configure your maps and the like but to to run map server it's just a cgi it never dies you know <laughs> um you know I, I actually for uh actually at the uh the last foster gna in, in san diego i just just to kind of see if i could i put map server behind a, a an aws lambda and it actually worked pretty darn well because you know lambda is really just kind of the modern cgi bin in a lot of ways oh that's awesome it's kind of like a a rat in a holocaust or something <laughs> it'll never die yeah it's funny because one of my guys now he am uh, he was at that phosphor g and he was like you know bitter i'm like yeah i was his boss <laughs> 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 I paid for him to make that presentation. <laughs> so that um, coming from that deep background, then what do you see of the future of internet mapping, internet web servers for maps, slippy tiles? Like, what are your feelings on what's next? Um, I th- like I think just the quantity of data that is coming through the pipes now is like the map display. You know, I think is something that 
I don't see there being that much more innovation in you know there's definitely mm -hmm. the 3d space but like the the whole i think the 3d space i think is i mean i still like most of what i see people doing with big fancy shading and you know render like is being done for the whiz bang factor and not for any actual utility um you know but i see you know the hardest thing is you know the the, the data quantity um you know being able to deal with storing searching um you know this the like the fire hose is of, of data coming in is only getting bigger and bigger and i think that's kind of the the big place that i kind of see yeah so um i do see like um some gpu databases uh, that are attempting to deal with so many different points. Um, processing on the fly for that many points for, you know, 75 million or hundreds of millions of points to be able to query and um, and display is a huge issue. and it, it, It's going to continue to be. So I, I agree with you there. Well, not just for display, for, for doing analytics. Yeah. Um, if, exactly like you know real-time analytics you you want that to be a ton fast um but <clears throat> for me like <laughs> the real issue is like ha i guess um true display of those points is just so hard that there, there's no real way to uh i don't know to to be able to s make sense of the data so like the the visualization component is going to be an interesting field for me uh over the next 10 years like how do we make all this data make sense as fast as we can process it yeah and i like the the side of that that i'm definitely more interested in is the all right how do we how do we get that back end you know to be able to kind of get that data and i think one of the hard things is you know over the last you know however many years we've really made a push towards um client side client side vector tiles you know mm -hmm. but if we're really looking at okay now you know we want to have these real-time analytics as well as this these real-time display you know real-time display of data um you know one of the problems kind of in some of the stuff we were doing with this air quality data is you know we have you know mobile sensors that have a data point per second yeah um, <laughs> how you know and 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 we're trying to display that along with you know stationary sensors um yeah. and there's two questions like okay how do you answer a question about you know that air quality data you know getting averages getting you know whatever mm -hmm. you know but also how do you you know then you know it's another like and yes there's the how do you visualize it what does it look like but you know how do you get the data you know across the pipe and you know and so i think a lot of this you know where there's been so much of a push towards hey we got to do everything client side um, I think that there's going to necessarily be a kind of reactionary force yeah. to, oh, okay, now like the, the amount of data is so big that we can't just keep like sending that fire hose to, to the browser. We need to, we need to aggregate it. We need to do things on the server side. And that was the kind of thing. Like when we were dealing with raster rendering, you know, all of that stuff was happening close to that data. And so we actually had fewer problems kind of with with raster rendering um of that you know of like point data sources you know than than we do now when we're trying to do things with, with 
vector tiles when you're when we're talking about kind of things that are changing like static data like everything that's happening with vector tiles is is phenomenal but like moving data um is definitely a different has a whole different set of issues I, especially you talk about real-time stuff right when data comes in from iot sensors mm -hmm. or an old sensor net you know those like you know say you know usgs flood gauges right yeah and all that stuff has to be meshed together and analyzed and displayed in real time or near real time. That's where the that's where those omni size and your kineticas really shine, right? Mm -hmm. But again, that's not for everybody. And then it's cost prohibitive. It's cost prohibitive. But at some point, we're going to, have to get to the we're going to, have to be at the point where it's like our back end isn't robust enough to keep up with the amount of data we're consuming. I mean, you know, you have Capella Space stuff coming in. You have your data, you have sensor data, IoT, social media stuff blasting through, and you're trying to get real-time analytics. Yeah, you're going to have to go GPU or some sort of really bizarre graph database. Uh, I wouldn't say that. There's a lot of stuff you can do, uh, you know, still. Postgres, Postgres has a lot of legs, and, and there are a lot of extensions that really help you work with that. So, you know, I've done a lot of stuff recently with, with TimescaleDB, um, which kind of lets you have kind of compression lets you have um, rolling, um, you know, continuous views that are updated as the data comes in. Um, and there have been a number of other kind of extensions built on, on Postgres that, that do that. Um, you know, full text search you know, gets better and better. The ability to shard the data out uh, gets better and better. But, you know, Timescale DB does that. Citus DB um, has just kicked out like a new big release that um, really open sources kind of what they had kind of, you know, retained as their kind of secret sauce um you know so Citus is now a microsoft product um but like it's 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 really like somebody who's been doing open source for you know 20 some years it's really fascinating to see kind of the, the take that that microsoft um has on on open source these days and, and is is really leading the way in a lot of areas so you know Citus db is you know one of these things um well vs code uh, you know, Visual Studio Code, um, GitHub, like, you know, some of these things that are like the foundations of how so many of us do work now. Yeah. Yeah, Citus, this looks great. I hadn't seen this yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put the link in the description of the, of the podcast when we get there. Yeah, because we deal at New Work, I deal a lot with real-time stuff, mm -hmm. right? And we're still trying to kind of crack the nut of what our clients see as real-time. Right? Is it every six hours or is it up to the second? Yeah, right? that's that's the just deciding. Okay, what does this mean? You know, cause, and how do you how do you broker that? Um, you know, it's one thing to like the ingest of that data, but now, you know, what do you do? Like when you're showing that data on the dashboard, when you're showing that data, you know, kind of real time, you know, or in an app or something. Um, you know, how is that updating? Is it updating in an aggregate form or is it updating in a, you know, each individual data point comes, you know, across the network? Yeah. Just, it, it's, yeah, and then as we get into, you know, more AI and more satellite data and how that all inter intersects with all that, right? Mm -hmm. So as more providers in orbit, more data is being consumed, better models are being generated. How, how can that mesh with the whole real-time earth observation emergency response world 
you know? At least that, that's, that's my that's where I'm coming from it these days. Yeah. So, Silas is working in real time too, though. Aren't you, Silas? Or near real time? <laughs> well, what is real time? <laughs> 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 the thing is, um, yeah, so startup I'm at, Connecticut, we're focusing on computer vision for industrial workspaces, which is a huge issue. There's like tons of workers' comp injuries and claims, cost businesses tons of money every year, and communities, you know, all that. So, um, but the thing is, as soon as you hear about like, you know, well, in industrial spaces, it's probably accidents that are happening all the time. And like, you need real time notification right away that like, you know, man down. Oh, the privacy um, concerns. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And and so uh, um, the thing is, most of the time, what you're really looking for is small things like, like just uh, the way people drive uh, forklifts or um, Mm -hmm. the way lanes are organized or the you know cleanliness of the um the environment that they're working in it's all small little things that add up to an accident that you're really able to uh detect and identify and and mitigate early early on so that the accident never happens so sure it's it's a really nice thing to have like if there's an accident this incredibly uh, efficient real-time system that would send out alerts everywhere and and that i think isn't crazy or even like uh unrealistic but the real um truth is that you have to uh you have to be more subtle and so what is that time scale that subtlety uh plays out in (laughs) that is uh that is the problem here and it's interesting just to like um have that visceral reaction when you think about like an industrial action and have that accident and then have that be like obviously important but then like realize more and more just the day-to-day things that uh, the behaviors and the way people um, care about their work and the quality of their work uh, that comes through that really influences safety so yeah it's right we, we've been discussing this a lot what is the bucket size of time you know for different actions and stuff that we should share and um, it's still not completely decided because yeah we haven't decided what the scale of the problem is and it may be many different problems with many different scales. One, you also look at the time scale of how you need that data. So you may have, you may want to hold on to, and you may want sort of immediate like filters that are working on, you know, per second data in a real time fashion, you know, but when you're looking back at that data, you know, you only need it aggregated in certain ways. And so having, you know, that, that, that level of tiered data, you know, where you, you know, Hey, in, in this time frame, you know, mm-hmm. when we're looking in the, you know, the last day, yeah. we need that data to be like high, but, but we don't need like, and it, sometimes it's like hard to convince people, but you don't uh-huh. need to hold on to that precision of data or that, you know, time precision of data, like, for archival or for, you know, when you're going back and looking, you know, historical. And so then it becomes, okay, do you, you know, sample the data? Do you aggregate the data, you know, through averages? Do you like, you know, you know, how, how do you then kind of tear that data out so that your system's not just overwhelmed by that, that sheer quantity. And that's where like, and that's kind of, I think like, 
that's a space that, that I think Timescale DB is doing some really cool things um, by being able to have policies set, you know, to age that data into, you know, so that you do end up having those different tiers that kind of automatically kind of roll data through that lifespan. Yeah, I have been exploring uh, Timescale, although I haven't had a chance to uh, de deploy it yet. The um, biggest problem with things like timescale and Citus yeah. um, and and a lot of and Zombo DB um, which which provides elastic search capabilities you know directly from Postgres um, is everybody's business processes are now like so, like they just want their managed database they want to use uh -huh. RDS or they want to use you know Azure Postgres um, and that's the problem is all of these awesome fantastic extensions um then mean you need to roll your own um you know deploy your own uh database which so many people are just oh no we have to just use rdf <laughs> um you know i i think like crunchy data has been sort of at the forefront of like really trying to push people of like no like if you roll it your own you can like here's all these great things that you can do like the 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 beauty of Postgres is how extensible it is. Yeah. And if you're locked down to only the extensions that, you know, a certain platform has said you can use, um, you're, you know, you're really only using the tip of the iceberg of what's a, a you know, an enormous tool. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, it's nice to have like the RDS version. It, it kind of gives uh, Postgres and PostGIS like, a really um, exalted status that when we, you know, when I started dealing with it like 12 years ago, 10 years ago, it was known, but it wasn't, it, it, yeah, I guess uh, Postgres was still seen as kind of like, oh, this, what is this weird free thing? Now it's like powering, you know, gigantic search engines and it's, uh, it's everywhere all over the Silicon Valley. You know, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I also think that your, your point about managing your own, you save a lot of money too, you know, like uh, RDS is not cheap and uh, yeah. uh, that, that, that cost, uh, depending on the company, it could be considerable. Yeah. I mean, like a small startup or yeah. something, right. They could just set up their own instance internally on a couple of laptops, network those together to start off with, opposed to paying for the Amazon fees. Well, or have it on an EC2 instance. Exactly. Or, yeah. you know, or you can use, you know, Crunchy and Zalando have Kubernetes operators that you can use to deploy on, on Kubernetes. You know, you know, now Kubernetes with database stuff brings it's a whole nother suite of problems, you know, dealing with, you know, like, you know, they're made for dealing with like fleeting things, you know, and, and kind of dealing with, you know, no persistent storage. And if you have 10 instances, you know, if you're scaling up to 10 instances, you don't want them all hitting the same storage backend because then you still have the same bottleneck, um, you know, so you definitely need to kind of understand, you know, what you're doing when you're trying to scale doing those things. But all the, all of the cloud tooling, you know, can, can be used with, you know, it's, it's just a server and, you know, people who are willing to set up like, crazy, you know, application, you know, backend servers, you know, applications on EC2, but then like you tell them that you want to use, 
you know, you know, use a self-managed uh, Postgres instance and no, 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 we have to just use RDS. Um, all right, you know. I don't find managing Postgres like that taxing. Now, you know, there's definitely overhead. Like, so right now, like doing, you know, backups, you know, there's great tools, um, a lot of great tools out there, you know, that, that you can stream your backups to, to S3 buckets, you know, very easily. Um, doing, like, if you're really wanting high availability, um, you know, that definitely takes, you know, a chunk more work and being able to spool up, spin up something you know, on, you know, multiple instances on RDS for high availability, but so many people don't, you know, the rest of what they're doing isn't designed for high, avail high availability anyway. And, you know, so it's just making sure that your management's, your expectations for all the different components of your system are kind of in sync. You know, if you have something, you know, one part that's this is rock hard and super high availability, you know, but another part that like, you know, can go down on a dime, you know, you're kind of, you're not really having the same kind of expectations, you know, and, and you can potentially like, all right, compromise, you know, and have a lot more power. Yeah. Cause I mean, the system's only as strong as its weakest link, right? This is yeah. This is pulling data from a shapefile on this one guy on this one guy's system, and it drives everything. It's going to slow the whole network down, the whole process down. <laughs> Bob, don't turn off your computer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually my biggest fear is that they like the cure to cancers on someone's hard drive in the corner or cubicle, right? <laughs> and it just has it shared with other data. It's on like Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Or worse, like an access database or something. Or Fox Pro. Right? It's in a Fox Pro database somewhere. It's the last uh, DB4 file. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Dave, before the podcast, we were talking about your uh, your dry trails. You've been keeping up your running during the pandemic? or? Uh, yeah. So my, my races last year, you know, all got canceled. Um, I was supposed to go, last August, I was supposed to go run around uh, do a hundred K around, um, around Mont Blanc, um, in August. And so that was, that was the saddest trip to get canceled, uh, over the pandemic, but, you know, got a group of, group of, uh, friends that I run with and kind of, we did our own jam at a local state park here. So I, I got a hundred miler in, uh, last fall still. Mm -hmm. Um, then I, I, I take the winter pretty much easy, so starting to to ramp things back up, um, you know, over the last few weeks to get ready. I've got a 100-miler in Wisconsin that uh, had gotten canceled and so, you know, rolled over to this year that's in June that I'm trying to get ready for. Yeah, does, does your wife have any big plans for post-pandemic? Does she have a big trip planned out, like in twenty twenty two? Uh, I she's definitely wanting to get some more some more bike touring in, um, and you know we're definitely wanting to get our our van out for some some good road trips. We did get out to to Montana and Wyoming uh, and hit a bunch of the national parks 
uh, last fall. Um, and it was nice to have the van and we had a refrigerator that we, you know, loaded up because uh, as we're going through the Dakotas and like looking out at, and like not a mask to be seen anywhere. And we're just like <laughs> staying in this van, like going down these forest roads and, you know, camping, you know, not even in, in any kind of campground. Um, boondocking is definitely the way to go during a pandemic. Yeah, I really, I, I, my, I may have been five kilometers from my house since the whole thing started. I, you know, the little things for me, like uh, Amazon um, delivery, obviously, everybody's used to, but like Whole Foods delivery. I'd always thought it was super weird to get groceries delivered. Um, and now I find it so easy. And it's just all these little things. I keep wondering, like, what is, um, what is life going to be like as we reassemble? the vestiges of our former life. And also like uh, the few times I have gone out to like to the outdoor things here in San Francisco, um, just like the background noise of people, people talking uh, or trying to like have a conversation with that going on. I, I'm not used to filtering it out anymore. You know, like I, I that skill has been lost um, and it was, not the easiest thing in the world to begin with to like just go out and be social and comfortable with tons of people all yeah around. it's gonna be really weird for a while i have a friend of mine she and her she wants to take her family to new york for the summer this uh this coming summer i can't believe it's right march and i'm like you know how much of an acid wash it's gonna be i mean you know i mean if new york's open right and i feel like a world where new york's open you've been <laughs> in your house for 13 months and you're gonna go hit a wall of people yeah, that, that's just too much, right? I mean, I told my kid that she might be going back to school, and she's like, "Oh no, not society." Well, that's like one of the one of the like I think the greatest things of the pandemic, and for me being an outdoorsy guy, like one of the the worst things about the pandemic is, you know, going to the state parks um, or going you know out to the trails that I, I train on, you know, that I'm used to having like all on my own and you know hordes of people like the parks are so full which is so fantastic to see on one hand i love you know that people are getting outside and um but at the same time like when i'm trying to like stay away from everybody and so last summer a lot of times would you know head out to the parks at just awful horrendous early mornings to avoid the avoid the crowds yeah yep yeah i mean i i think the big barrier i broke for, for the pandemic was uh, getting breakfast delivered <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I always had a problem with that and then suddenly <laughs> i was like oh oh no i can totally get breakfast delivered. this is legitimate it's a pandemic <laughs> I, I never got breakfast delivered but there was a bakery uh there's a bakery by my house that i would as soon as I would finish my run, I'd do the call ahead so I could go grab a big old plat, like a big thing of biscuits and gravy after a after a long run it was kind of my probably my biggest luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It really is the little things, though. Yeah. Uh huh. But uh, we've been lucky, you know. I think our, our jobs being pretty much geared towards this anyway i had actually quit zillow like right before 
the pandemic started, so I was planning on working from home for a little while, startup life. And but I thought, you know, hey, I'll, I'll go to a cafe every now and then, <laughs> so, you know, be relaxed. And all that was out of the window two weeks later. But I had signed up for this anyway, so it's been funny to me because like I chose this, and nobody else did. So I, I, I really can't complain too much. Um, and mostly it's been okay, except for like when the fires were super bad here oh. in September. That was that felt like doomsday. Like everything <laughs> pre pre election too. Like everything was falling apart. <laughs> like, like like the back half of twenty twenty and early twenty twenty one was just like, oh my god. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> I mean I basically slowed my drinking down because of the pandemic because I was just bored drinking. Right, like okay, I've drank a lot. I don't need to do this anymore. And then, like right around the beginning yeah. of the year, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is going to pick up again." So, you, alcohol delivery for breakfast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Drizzly does that, early, do they? <laughs> I got alcohol delivered a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and and I got a local lager as one of my things, right? Just because you know whatever. And I just clicked on, you know, I figured it's a liquor store. They know what they're doing, you know. If out of stock choose and i get my liquor delivery i get my bottle of bourbon out my, my whatever beer and then the, the lager they replaced it with was bud light <laughs> not even not even yinling huh no yeah, not even yingling right <laughs> which is like the bud light of, of, of the, of the and i'm like well at least has, at least i have something to cook shrimp in now like, <laughs> <I cook> shrimp. <laughs> so i threw it in the crisper i'm not gonna drink it i'm not worried about the kid drinking it because it's bud light right <laughs> I love that you keep your beer in the crisper too. <laughs> the, the crisper is just the beer door. It's just the beer drawer. Yeah, just toss in the crisper and let it run. Let's <laughs> sit down there for probably another 10 to 15 months. But it's Bud Light, so it won't matter. It still tastes the same. <laughs> oh, we had a we had a friend like a while ago and like back when like you know, we we weren't making it like Getting a, you know, an $8 six pack was a luxury, you know, kind of the time. And we had a friend who would always bring, you know, a six pack of, of Bells or, you know, really good beer. And then would always like just drink whatever swill like somebody else had brought. And so it was like, we loved it when he came because we'd always end up like with, he'd drink like whatever horrible beer and leave a really good stuff <laughs> it's the perfect buddy to have uh-huh. <laughs> oh it's so funny <laughs> no it's just you know getting stuff delivered is kind of like this has been my jam to this whole thing like the whole like whole foods yeah that's i'm not gonna stop doing that with this over no i don't think i will either and uh it's i actually I, I always love going to the grocery store so it always seemed like the oddest thing to me like uh you're really giving me up on a pleasure and it still is but it's such a pain right now with like you have to wait in lines and uh wear a mask uh obviously it's just very limited so um i just decided you know whatever maybe it's easier for everybody if i don't go there <laughs> and it, it's a whole other world like i i I, I want to walk more, you know, I just got this little cute little dog should help me as soon as he's able to leave the house and, uh, stay closer to home. I do want to like go on a trip post COVID 
something get that out of my system but um yeah it's just a whole lot of like staying in quote unquote family nights a lot of pizza making uh mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think my big road trip i'm gonna go to ann arbor because like four years ago i promised Pocato that i would go get tapas with her <laughs> <laughs> i never did it's like an eight hour it's like well it's a morning eight hour like a 14 hour drive if I can stop by Toronto along the way. That like I don't I don't see myself getting on a plane in 2021 still. <laughs> like, but like definitely like you know I'm looking forward to getting some road trips in this year but yeah, I I still don't see getting on a plane even even once I get the 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 vaccine, I think it'll be a little while of, like is my comfort level like gets back to normal social situations flying just going to the grocery store <laughs> going back to the office getting coffee it's all going to be a little more fraught than we could ever imagine two years ago so my kids going with their mom like in the back end of april and i'll be fully vaccinated by then and um i'm like should i go in the office because i can or should i, should I take the train you know, I'm, I'm probably going to drive. If I do go, I'll probably drive. But it's like, do I want to get on a metal tube with other sick people? No. I do hope that, like, masks are here to stay in terms of people being, uh, having flus and stuff, you know. I think, uh, oh, yeah. the, the, the flu num- the flu and cold numbers, this like, zero. I know. Yeah, they're going to be studying this for generations probably and also the uh you know speaking of bringing back to geography like the spread or not the lack of spread what the uh you know motion what people's lack of motion what social distancing what 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 effects played into this because it is incredible isn't it yeah yeah and, and watching the contract tracing stuff like the geography from sturgis you know speaking of south dakota right how that took yep. COVID from Sturgis, uh, South Dakota, to all over the U.S. again. It's like, oh, all these hotspots spider web back to freaking you know Sturgis, South Dakota. Because, whatever, just wear a mask. It's not hard. Get a nice one. Minnesota's you know had pretty tight restrictions, you know, all along. But we're between the Dakotas, which have done nothing, and Wisconsin, which is like you know, has had areas that have wanted to do things, but like as a state, like have fought against any kind of restrictions. Um, you know, so we're sandwich sandwich between kind of the wild west, you know, as far as, you know, people will make fun of you still if you're wearing a mask. Oh, but yeah, you go into Wisconsin and you look and you see bars that are chock full of people, no masks. And that's just crazy. Yeah, we're like five hundred fifty thousand people dead. Yeah, I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna go to a bar where and not wear a mask just because I missed this. You know, <laughs> they have really good wings there, though. You don't know. You don't know, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> they, probably have, they probably have curbside pickup too. Right. <laughs> a, so you know, my, my my kid goes to space camp. Well, she hasn't last year. She's not gonna go this year. But there's a lot of parents in the Space Camp Facebook group like, my kid deserves to go to Space Camp this year. It's like... Yeah, right. We've all been through a lot. I get it. But why don't you just hold off to next year when they actually have some fun? 
it's not just kids from the surrounding states yeah. who can go. That's cool. She can go though. Yeah, next year. She's excited about Hell it. Hell yeah. Yeah. This year I'm sending her to a sailing and snorkeling camp. Where? Uh, it's down. It's um, it's on the Cape. Oh, so it's in southern Massachusetts. Lucky kids. That sounds <laughs> awesome. That sounds so fun. Yeah, I remember my, my campus. I had to sell pizza to go to Boy Scout camp, right? <laughs> and it was like seventy-five bucks. <laughs> you know, it's like now it's like here's two thousand dollars for a deposit for a, for a sailing camp. I, yeah, I do. Yeah, kids. Cute. You have any kids, Dave? Nope, no kids. Just a, uh-huh. a crazy dog and a cat. That's awesome. Does the cat go with you on your long road trips? No, she doesn't come with us. Just Milo. Yeah. Sad because I met Milo a couple of times, but I never met your cat. So. No, I had a lot of fun with That's awesome. Milo this winter. Uh, we did a lot of skidoring, which is where you have the dog pull you when you're on cross-country skis. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's so cool. He loves it. Does he have like little tiny cross country <laughs> skis too on the pond? Like all of the do- <laughs> like the, the traditional sled dog breeds and everything, you know, and and like the racing, you know, a lot of the newer like the the dogs that are bred for skidoring are like a mix between like you know sled dogs and and uh, and why is my brain and greyhounds, you know. They all have the sleek heads and like the ears that when they're running just kind of point like straight back. Whereas we've got a standard poodle who when he runs his ears are just flapping in the wind and it's the half looking <laughs> thing I've ever seen. He's getting ready to take off. Uh-huh. <laughs> fly, Milo, fly. <laughs> okay, Dave, this has been great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. It's really fun to talk. Uh, some some good OG stories. Yeah, yeah. it's great to uh, get to meet you, Silas, and always great to talk to you, Todd. It's been way too long. Yeah, I mean, you should show, you should show up to one of my uh, morning coffee things I've been doing. You do those way too early. <laughs> what? Oh, six hundred's not early. <laughs> the world's already alive. East Coast, oh, isn't like three. <laughs> <laughs> Three o'clock, <laughs> Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> I do it at nine too. <laughs> so, the, so, the, so the West Coast people can get up at six. Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. don't be a stranger. We'll talk again soon. All right, take it easy, y'all. You too. This has been Todd Barr, and this has been Silas Toms. This was the Mappiest Hour. Yes. Ted Cruz, go fuck yourself.